Galatians chapter 6. We left off, I only got to preach about half the message. And um, I have not heard any more, by the way. Um, Pastor Skeens was here last Sunday evening with one of the men of his church. And then uh, on Monday, he called just to tell me how much he enjoyed being here, what an encouragement it was, um, and whether, you know, they don't have an evening service right now. They have Sunday school, they have Sunday morning, then they have like a little lunch break, and then they have an afternoon service. Um, and they're having around 15 or 20 on Sunday mornings. And so he was just happy to be here. Um, but then he called, and I mentioned this Wednesday night, he called the, his daughter-in-law, who's 44 years old, Her daughter, his daughter-in-law and their, and, and their son had their first child. The baby's doing fine, but the mother has been really slow to recover. She had to have a cesarean, lost a lot of blood. It was very, very weak. But anyway, she was improving. Um, so I want to keep praying for her. And so um, thank God that we can pray. Um, Galatians chapter 6. Anyway, I said that. I had four things, four points I wanted us to look at regarding a, an overwhelmed heart. And based on David's statement in Psalm 61, when my heart is overwhelmed, I will call unto the Lord. And so last week we looked at two things, and then number one was the oppression from the enemy, which David faced constantly. And then the second one was um, the burden of sin, and how sin can oppress us. Again, David is a great uh, example of that, how his sins pressed upon him. And so tonight we're going to take a look at the third one. And so Galatians chapter 4. Um, we used Galatians chapter uh, 6 and verses 1 and 2 regarding having compassion on those who fall into temptation. But uh, tonight we're going to pick it up in verse 4. So please follow along as I read Galatians 6, um, 4 through 9, and then we'll pray and then get into the message for tonight. Galatians 6, 4 says, But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And so that's we're going to focus really on that verse, verse, uh, verse 4 and 5 and then verses 8 and 9. But let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee tonight for the work of God you've given us to do. And Father, your word tells us that a local church can only be fruitful and, and really do the work that you'd have it to do if every member does his or her part. So help us, Lord, to be encouraged, to be challenged along those lines tonight as we, as we look into the message. I pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse number 2, the Bible says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And there the word burden is the weakness. It's talking about those who are overtaken, those who fall into temptation, that we're supposed to restore them and rebuild them. Well, then in verse 5, there's a totally different Greek word for burden. In verse 4, but let every man prove or, his, or demonstrate his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. I want to go back and 
sometime in the near future and read Ephesians chapter 2 where it talks about the church is built, the church prospers when every joint supplies something, every member does his or her part. And I would just be thrilled, as, I've been, as I mentioned this morning, if everybody would pick one person, pray for one person and point out or go after one person to bring them to Christ and get them into the church and I would be so thrilled about that. that would, that's the, I, I believe that our, that's our church, church's greatest need right now is for our members to get a burden for their neighbors and co-workers and do what they can to get them out to service. In fact, I would be happy if every person could honestly say I invite at least one person every week to come to church. We have to start doing that if we're going to see God do anything. There can't be any reaping if there's no sowing. And so along with then having said that, verse 5 says, for every man shall bear his own burden. Now the word burden in verse 5 means share of the work. So everyone needs to pitch in and do his part in order to further the cause of Christ. And so, but I want us to go down to verse 7, 8, 9 in just a moment. But before I do that, I want to tell you where we're going with this. Um, a third thing, other than oppression from the enemy or the burden of our own sin, a third thing that can overwhelm us is trying to serve God in a godless world. Trying to serve God in a godless world. And I've talked to a lot of men. I've, I've talked to younger men. I've talked to middle-aged men. I've talked to older men. I've talked to myself. <laughs> I've talked to the Lord. Um, and one of the things we all face, we face being overwhelmed at the enormity of the task. We're just, you know, we're a little group of believers in an area that has a few thousand people. And if we look at our numbers and their numbers, you know, we can be overwhelmed, and it does become overwhelming. There's more work than we could ever do in ten lifetimes. I like what D.L. Moody said. D.L. Moody said it's good to have ten men, ten people do the work than to try to do the work of ten people. And so, so that it can be overwhelming. So let's see what God says in his word. Now remember, he's writing to believers here. So, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So in other words, what you plant, it's, a, it's an agricultural illustration. You put seeds in the ground, you're going to reap what you sow. You plant corn seeds, you're going to get corn. You plant wheat, you're going to get wheat. Same is true of our lives spiritually. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. So if we sow worldly things, if we, if, in other words, if we live our lives to please ourselves, there's going to be no spiritual crop. There's going to be no fruit. It's going to be corruption. It's going to be rottenness. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So if we do the things that the Word of God teaches us to do, we will, we will reap life eternal. We'll reap eternal things. And verse 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. All right. So, um, there's an encouragement from the Word of God. Keep on going. Keep on. Some of the pastors, Pastor Klim over in Dushar, he's been, he's been carrying on over there for about 25 years with very little result. But he's faithful. 
And he's in a godless area. He's in an area that, that is absolutely dominated by the Catholic Church. I mean, they had to fight for every inch they gained in the ministry over there. But anyway, whenever I talk to him, the last thing he always says to me is, keep on keeping on. You know, keep on keeping on. Let us not be weary. Ken Lynch uh, has a favorite saying too. We get, weir- we get weary in the work, but we shouldn't ever be weary of the work. Right? And so be weary, be not weary, not be weary in well-doing. Doing the things that please God. Sowing the seed, and so on and so forth. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now a great verse of encouragement is Paul's own testimony there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you go back there just a couple pages, and notice what Paul has to say about his life. And obviously Paul is not bragging here, as, as we'll see. Paul was, um, Paul sat there, I, th- I think often of Paul's verse. In fact, as we're going back, Stop in 2 Corinthians on your way back to 1st, will you? Uh, go to 2 Corinthians 11 for just a moment. Now, the Apostle Paul no doubt had more opportunities than any other man that's ever lived. Um, he, is, he was instrumental in starting over 180 local churches in his lifetime. He circled, he, did, he, he, he took four missionary journeys and basically covered the whole Roman Empire. And yet the Apostle Paul probably had more opposition. He probably had more obstacles. He probably had more persecution than anybody else. And so I want you to, here's an, I wanted to encourage, and that's, what, that's why Paul put this in here, was first of all to encourage the people of Corinth and to challenge them against false teachers who were under, trying to undermine Paul. And say and tell the convince the Corinthians that he was not really an apostle, and so he lays before them his credentials. He really starts in verse in chapter eleven, goes into chapter twelve, where he sets forth his credentials. But one of the it's interesting that one of the credentials of an apostle is sufferings. One of the things that sets Bible-believing Christian missionaries and pastors and so on from Muslims and other groups is that the Muslim leaders, they stay within the safety of their castles and they send other people out to be persecuted, you know, other people out to kill and be killed. Not so with Christianity. Paul's on the front line. He doesn't send somebody else into, into harm's way. He goes himself. And so this way he says, by the way, these were Jewish people that were giving him the most problems. Look at um, 20, verse 22, chapter 2 Corinthians 11, verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. In other words, they could prove their lineage as if that was a big deal. So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. By the way, I just killed Paul. <laughs> it really killed him to have to do this. To have to list his credentials. He didn't want to do that. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. In other words, five times he received thirty-nine lashes with the whip. 
Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, that is, fellow Jews, in perils by the heathen, that's Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, which might have been one of the most difficult ones. False brethren. Pseudo-Adelpha. That means fake brothers, those who claim to be Christians, but were not. And then we have this. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. So he lists all these things. Beside those things that are without, in other words, the things that are outside, the outside pressure, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. In other words, the oversight, the ministry of all the churches. Um, and so, and the idea there of care is, is his deep concern. And he, 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 you know, he lets that be known in his different letters. He, pre, he, 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 he poured out his heart to the Corinthians. And thank God there was results there. They turned back to him. Now let's go back to 1 Corinthians. How was he able to do all that? How could Paul possibly go on um, after all those things? I'm not sure if, if, if I got whipped, if I took 39 lashes one time, I honestly don't know if I would have been able to go on. And you know, there are people that couldn't go on. Uh, Paul talks about those who forsook him. They couldn't take it. Well, how could he do it? Well, 1 Corinthians 5.15 1 Corinthians 15 says in verse 10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. So, not by his own strength, not by his stubborn Hebrew heritage, not by any of those things, but, but by the grace of God. Now here the grace of God is God's divine enablement, God's supernatural power released in Paul's life to allow him to serve God. Notice, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. And I, I really think that from the first century till today, Paul could put, could put his life against any other life. And that would still ring true today. He labored them all. Nobody else. No one. Nobody else. Not Peter, not John, nobody in his day, and nobody since was able to outwork the Apostle Paul. And so he was, he was totally truthful and honest. He's not exaggerating. But he says this, Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And if you read Paul's writings, the Lord encouraged him. Um, at one point, he was, he was, he was despairing of life. And then God sent Titus to encourage him. And oftentimes Timothy encouraged him. Philemon encouraged him. Onesiphus, um, I mean, uh, um, yeah, Onesiphus encouraged him. Um, different ones encouraged Paul, but it, was, but it was the grace of God that enabled him to continue. And so then back in Galatians, I want us to take a look at one other verse. And that's Galatians 6.10. And I use that word, when I use the word opportunity, um, 
it's a, I'm using it, it's a biblical word, I'm using it in the biblical sense. And in verse 10, here's what Paul said, concludes, concluding this particular section, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So we're to do good and we're to help and, to, and we're, we're to assist, but we're to do it primarily to the household of faith, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, contrary to the new evangelicals and the ecumenicals, we as a church, we as Christians, we do not have a mandate to feed the world or clothe the world. That's not our mandate. Our mandate is go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that, that is the, the gospel of Christ, not the social gospel. We are not to be, that's not to be our thing. That's not to be our focus. That's not to be our effort to feed and clothe the world or society. Now we can help, if we, we can help in, in ways. But we are to do that for, the, for our fellow believers. That's, that's a mandate um, from the word of God. All right, let's go back one other verse in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> this is not a time for us. It's certainly not a time for me to slow down. In fact, I'm glad that nobody has told me that I need to start slowing down. I don't ever intend to do that uh, by the grace of God. And here's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Right? Our labor is not in vain um, in the Lord. It is not um, futile. It is not pointless. Um, it is not empty. It is not worthless. God is keeping track, and everything we do for him will be rewarded. But you know, he doesn't say that we're, just to, we're, not we're not just supposed to survive. We're just not supposed to carry on. No, he says we're to be abounding. To abound means to increase more and more. And so that's what the Lord should should have us would have us to do, and that's what we can, should do, and that's what we can do by the grace of God. So we should be always looking for more opportunities to serve Him, more opportunities to give out the Word of God, and um, and, and 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 to to further the, the to advance this church, right? The members of the church, especially that, that you know, we're we're here to advance this church. Okay, that should be our main focus this particular church. And so the question, so what, what do you do to help to advance the cause of this church? All right? And we need to think, keep that in mind. All right. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. The fourth thing that can overwhelm us are life's sorrows. All right? Um, life's sorrows. And I thank the Lord. I thank God. And some, it's not always easy. It's, it, gets, it, can be a real, it can be a burden. It can wear on a person. But I've often thanked God. He seems to have given me some kind of a certain, a certain amount of ability, a certain amount of sympathy, a certain amount of understanding for those who are sorrowing, and those who are hurting, those who are in trouble. Um, and I have come, I've treasured every opportunity 
Um, just what, to sit at someone's bedside in the hospital, I've had that opportunity, um, that necessity on a number of occasions to sit at someone's bedside who's about ready to pass away, and I, I'm, and, or has whatever the case may be. And I take, I, I take those from the Lord, I cherish those opportunities because we have the opportunity to take the word of God and just show them how they, how they can know they have eternal life and the Lord has allowed us over the years to actually win people to Christ on their deathbeds and, and you know they don't come to church, they don't show up on the numbers, but they're going to be in heaven. And that's where, that's the final, you know, the final count is going to be there. Now, and so, but life's sorrows can overwhelm us. Um, sometimes our own, sometimes other people's, sometimes the lives of those that we love, right? So, let's see what Paul, well, we're going to use one example here. In Philippians chapter 2, this is Epaphroditus. Um, in Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 25. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. All right? And so he was oftentimes sent from Paul, uh, or, or to Paul, from the church at Thessalonica. Over in chapter 4, verse 18, Paul says, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And the church in Philippi was one that supported Paul often. Right? They sent to him. And, and they, often, they usually sent Epaphroditus. He delivered whatever it was they sent to help the apostle Paul. And so he was a man, and, and Epaphroditus, or Paul here commends Epaphroditus back in chapter 2. He calls him a brother, companion in labor, fellow soldier, your messenger. And so he was a man that was, a, that was dependable and trustworthy, and Paul used him often to carry messages and all those kinds of things. And he that ministered to my wants, Paul said, that is his physical needs, his need of food and clothing and things like that. Verse 26, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness, because he had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Now there is the overwhelming part. Sorrow upon sorrow. And God spared, and God raised up Epaphroditus. Right? And we have heard over these last year and a half, we have heard of missionaries, and we've heard of pastors, and we've heard of folks who have died because of the virus, because of COVID and other things. We lost one of our own members, Brother Sam, to pneumonia. So um, we know what that's like. And I said all that to say how many times that we have asked prayer, we've shared requests. This past Wednesday night, we received that note. Please pray for Belinda Mooney because she's very, very, very poor. She's deteriorated to the point where they're going to take her off life support. All right? and, th th and those things ought to be burdens to us. So we ought to bear the burdens of others and, and care. I, I thought about dear brother Moody. I thought, Mooney, there he is, you know, pastoring over there. 
and his wife is such an integral part of the ministry, and she's right beside him, and she's a big help. And I thought, oh, that poor brother, if he loses her, you know, by the grace of God, he'll survive, but he's a lot, he'll be a lot better if God spares her. Well, God has been raising her back. Well, that's the idea here. Paul was burdened about Epaphroditus. They didn't want to lose him. He was a great help. Verse 28. I say him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again ye may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation, that is in high esteem. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. All right, And Paul clears that up in chapter 4. He said, I, you know, I know that you were concerned, but you lacked opportunity. Well, now you have an opportunity, and Epaphroditus brought everything. But um, here's one of the pressures of our society. Here's one of the pressures of life, um, that, that part of regarding his life. Um, and Paul would write, in, or he would speak to the elders of Ephesus, and he would say, uh, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. I understand medically that self-preservation is one of the strongest instincts that we have. Well, for the Christian, we, can't, we have to get over that. Um, we have to get over this idea that I've got to spare my life and I can't take risks and I've got to keep in my comfort zone, all this kind of stuff. No, we need to, we need to launch out. And just, Jesus said to his disciples, launch out into the deep. And that wasn't just a story about fish. That was to remind them that as in serving the Lord, they, need to, they needed to launch out into the deep. You know, Peter never walked on the water. He said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come to thee. Jesus said, come. And he walked on the water. And of course, he started to sink, and Christ lifted him up. And that, that's, again, if you want to, that's a microcosm of our life. We follow the Lord wherever he leads us. And when we start to sink, he picks us up. But we've got to be willing to step out of the boat, as it were. We've got, to, we've got to get out of this worldly idea that I've got to spare my life. I've got to make things comfortable. No, the, the, the great servants of God in the Bible stepped out of that. And they just trusted their life with God. And so God, again, showed great mercy to Paul by raising up Epaphroditus. All right, let's look at back in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 7. Let's take a look at an, the example of Titus. Titus. <coughs> chapter, I mean 2 Corinthians, not Titus. This is about Titus, but it's in 2 Corinthians. Um, let's see what the Bible says here. verse 1, let's start in chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Receive us. We have wronged no man, we have corrupted no man, we have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. All right? The Corinthians were in Paul's heart. He's, and it was to the Corinthians that Paul said, I will gladly spend and be spent for you. And that should be our attitude. But then he said this, Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. 
For when we were coming to Macedonia, that's Philippi, that area, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Again, Paul is going to open his heart to these to the believers in Corinth. So in Macedonia, he said, we're troubled, we had no rest, our flesh, now physically, our body. But we were troubled on every side. In other words, we could say that they were overwhelmed without, in other words, outside, on the outside were fightings, the battle with the ungodly, and within, in our own hearts and minds, were fears, right? Nevertheless, God that comforted those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoiced the more. So one of the things as Paul was traveling, even as he traveled to Macedonia, he's thinking about the situation in Corinth. He's thinking about, are they going to listen to me? Are they going to take my, my challenge? Are they going to take my warnings? Are they going to take my instruction? What about that man that was living in sin and they put him out of the church and now he wants to come back in and they don't know what to do and, and all these things. And so when Titus came and Titus said, Paul, I was just there and I'll tell you what, they have taken every word you've said to their hearts. They've repented. They've made things right. They're going back in the right direction. And he rejoiced. Verse 8, for though, I wrote, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. For now, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. God uses sorrow. Again, we're living in a society that tells us you're not supposed to suffer pain, you're not supposed to have guilt, you're not supposed to have sorrow, and that's all contrary to the word of God. Um, I overheard some people talking about children. Nobody here, but people out there talking about, oh my, my, you can't, you, you can't let your kid go through any difficulty. No, no, no. No sorrow. No, no, no. Don't disappoint your kid. and Don't give them any pain. And oh my, give them everything they want. Well, that's exactly what the Bible says will ruin a child. Okay? And the same, so there is sorrow. And God uses it. And God used the powerful letter, 1 Corinthians, to convict the church of Corinth and bring them back to where they needed to be. And yes, to restore the erring brother who had repented and who had asked for forgiveness, he said, to restore them. And so Paul had, Paul had all these kinds of sorrows. All right, let's go back one more passage and then I think we're done. And that's 2 Corinthians chapter 1. My, we could a lot from First and Second Corinthians. Um, it's all about a church. <laughs> it's all about a struggling church. Um, it's all about a church that was plagued by problems, just like churches today have problems. And we have enemies, and we have issues, and we have things <laughs> that we have to deal with. Um, and so the, the church at Corinth did too. But here's Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 1. Um, Listen to what he says. 
Now he's talking about Asia. When you think, when you read the word Asia in the scriptures, think of Ephesus. And think about what Paul went through there. Think about all the, the turmoil there. Acts chapter 19 and 20, where the big mob came along and they're screaming and, and all that kind of thing. And they're trying to, they're going to pull Paul apart. And, and he talks about fighting with wild beasts in Ephesus. All right, but anyway, let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. For we, for we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble. No, our tribulation, in other words, our, our suffering, which came to us in Asia, insomuch that we were pressed out of measure. That just, that means, that, again, you know what that means? Overwhelmed. We just, we, we, we just couldn't handle it. We were, we were just swamped. We were pressed out of measure, of our strength. In other words, we didn't have the strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. Paul said we weren't sure that we were going to even survive. But, he had to remember, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and that is the spiritual death of sin, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. For our rejoicing is this. It was our source of joy, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you. So Paul says, we have conducted ourselves in a godly way in this world by his grace. And we were not swallowed up. We were not overwhelmed by sorrow, by all the things that we went through. And I, I know that Paul often spoke about his weakness um, his own inadequacy, and yet he did not apologize for that because we need to realize that we are inadequate in ourselves. We can only thrive, we can only abound in the work of God by his grace. Well, like David, that's where we all, that's where we started this. Like David, we have our trials and troubles. We can be overwhelmed. It can be anything. We didn't cover other things. It could be financial. It could be sickness. It could be so many things that can overwhelm us. I have to think of the four things that we're talking about in this message. Number, to me, number one is serving God in a godless world and just being overwhelmed at the wickedness that, that really threatens to just wash us away like a flood. But we stand by the grace of God. So like David, we have our trials and troubles. But also, like David, we have a rock. We have a rock that is higher than I. You know, I really love what Asaph wrote. Psalm 73 is a, tre is a tremendous psalm. Asaph was chief musician in the house of God. Somehow he got his eyes off the Lord and got his eyes on the wicked, the prosperity of the wicked, and it really took him down. Until it's, he, was, he says, I went to the sanctuary of the Lord, then I understood their end. And then he said this, 
In Psalm 73, 24, Asaph wrote this, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. That's our, that's our life. That's the Christian life in a nutshell. Guide, guided by God, enabled by God, empowered by God, and then taken to heaven. Can't ask for anything better than that. Father, thanks so much for this time we can have once again to gather in this place, this precious place that has been set aside for worship and preaching of the word of God and edifying of believers and evangelizing the lost. Thanks, Father, and we just pray that you would help us when our hearts are overwhelmed, and they can be, uh, that we might just look to that rock. Father, thank you for being that rock, and we thank thee that on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. How we thank thee for the solid rock of Christ, the solid foundation of the word of God, and all that thou hast for us, all that we have in Christ, all that we have to look forward to, as we can also say with the psalmist, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We thank thee for this. Lord God, encourage us, strengthen us, help us to keep on keeping on, help us to abound in the work of the Lord. Bring opportunities, Lord. Bring folks before us. Help, them, help bring them across our path. Father, that we could see folks saved and just see some great things done for your honor and glory, not for ours, but for thy glory and for the eternal benefit of those who are saved and whose lives are built on the word of God. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, closing tonight, number 366. 366. Let's turn there, please, and let's stand and sing, Give Me Thy Heart. All right, Give Me Thy Heart. That's what the Lord wants from us. Um, more than anything, um, he wants our heart. All right, let's sing all three verses. Um, great hymn, great message, message to the song. Give me thy heart, says the Father above. No gift so precious to him as our love. Softly he whispers wherever thou art. Gratefully trust me and give me thy heart. Give me thy heart, give me thy heart, in a soft whisper wherever thou art. From this dark world he would draw thee apart. Speaking so tenderly, give me thy heart, give me thy heart.
again for this, this uh, Lord's Day and the great blessings of the day and thanks for this evening and I pray now thou watch over each one as they travel to their homes. Clear the way dear Lord and help us as we have begun a new week and again I just ask thee to put before our path those that we can minister to, those that we can give the gospel to and, and encourage and we just pray Lord for a great working not only here but throughout this country and around the world. Every Bible-believing fundamental ministry, Lord, may your blessing rest upon it. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.